I was doing a project with satellites and I had a guy sit down with me and explain to me that satellites go around the earth in little circles. And then I explained what differential GPS was and drew all the formulae on the board and he went quite quite quickly and I never had that problem again. You're listening to Women Tech Charge from the Evening Standard with me, Anne-Marie Maffedon. Now, what happens when you see a stranger wearing a jumper that you need to have? Can technology help you find that Meghan Markle outfit for less? In this episode, I'm talking to a woman who can answer both of those questions. She's also working on making your airport security experience better. It's time for fashion on the podcast, darling. I'm sat here in the London Assembly West Central constituency recording, very far from home in East London, sat opposite a woman who has done incredibly well out of the question you often find yourself thinking, where did she get that jumpsuit from? Snap Fashion is just one product from her startup, SnapTech, who use images to search fashion websites and much, much, much more. Welcome Jenny Griffiths, MBE, CEO of SnapTech. Thank you very much for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Um, I did a little bit of a kind of half intro there. What's the official elevator pitch for SnapTech? Right. So I'll pretend I'm in a lift. Um, So (laughs) SnapTech, we're a visual search platform and we license our technology to publishers and to retailers. And the whole idea is around how you can get someone from looking at an image, be it on social media, something you've seen in the real world, and match you to products that you want to buy online. And I, I know where you got the idea from because... I've had this idea several times. Anytime I see someone in something, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, in the olden days, we used to just tap the person gently on the shoulder and be like, where did you get that T-shirt I know, from? it's weird, isn't it? Whereas now I surreptitiously take a picture <laughs> <laughs> and search it. When did you begin working on this? When did this go from a, oh gosh, I wish to, hmm? Yeah, so I study computer science at university, um, like you. Yeah. It- all the, best, there. all the best people study computer science at university. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was getting really into the field of kind of image processing, computer vision, um, doing kind of off the shelf stuff that we were given as coursework at university. Mm-hmm. And then it came to picking my um, master's final, um, sorry, my master's thesis for my finals. And I got really just into this idea of now that we're all carrying around these cameras in our pockets, how mm-hmm. can we use them to search? And what year was this? This was 2008. Okay, so um, we were just so about carrying, we were carrying really pretty rubbish cameras at we that point. We were carrying no? iPod touches, all the cool oh kids were. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know, proper retro stuff. Shout out to anyone that remembers those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had an iPod mini, I was so behind the curve. Um, so yeah, I basically um, nicked one of my friend's iPod touches and was like, hey, can I actually kind of use this for, for something? So I started kind of playing around with computer vision algorithms in different kind of sectors. Okay. Took a step back and I was like, look, I'm not going to be the person who writes a visual search app for the whole world because Google are trying to do it. Yeah. It's pretty hard that would, have, that would have been a great David and Goliath story it would have been great yeah. um so yeah I ended up thinking like what would I want to use visual search for mm-hmm. and fashion just popped into my mind straight away because I love reading fashion magazines like I've always subscribed to InStyle I get okay. it into my house every month like Amazing. always read Vogue you yeah, are very fashionable am, as well must I was going to say I'm absolutely terrible at dressing no, myself no. ironically oh really so no, I wouldn't say that <laughs> I but love reading the I'm editorial I'm actually offended that you said that <laughs> <laughs> got my night quarters um no but I always read the editorial and then when it comes to shopping for myself on a student budget couldn't really afford anything trying to get the look and Mm -hmm. I was like oh wouldn't it be awesome if you could just be reading these publications Mm -hmm. and using it to get the look for less 
And oh. editors are already kind of doing that in the sense that they can kind of curate that editorial, but it's very much potluck who yeah. they're looking at if it's your style. So that's where it all started off, really. So I developed it for a year, was showing it to my friends, and the more people I showed it to, the more people wanted it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe there's actually something here, so maybe I should do it properly. Snap tech. Yes. And snap. Yes. Has that been fun? Has that been as fun as it sounds to have your company named the same as a rather large other company? So it's Having started of, before them. Yes. So embarrassingly, I am older than Snap. <laughs> and I always call them Snapchat because it's me. And weirdly, so we rebranded. We were Snap Fashion and we rebranded to Snap Tech. And it, it big paperwork had been going through for months. And then it ended up coming out the week that Snapchat rebranded to Snap. And I was like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But we do actually own the trademark. So... Uh, so do they pay you? Is there like a thing? Have they been in touch? No, I've never started anything. They're kind of big and equally they've never started anything on us. So we're kind of just mutually coexisting. It's all very lovely. Have you ever met? No, I've never met Evan or any of them? No, I'd love to though. Have you bumped into them at an event? Do you know, they're not very big on the UK scene, are they? No, it's true. But I really like them as a company. Like, I use Snapchat and I think they're kind do of you? cool. Kylie so... Jenner told us not to use Snapchat, so none of us do anymore. <laughs> Don't do what Kylie Jenner says. Come on. With this is a whole like new Snap, podcast. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do what Kylie Jenner says. That's yeah, like the title. Got that on a t-shirt. That's me and you. Just That's our season. Don't do what Kylie Jenner says. Exactly. I like this. Um, yeah, I wanted to know about it. I was wondering. I had, I had down that I did genuinely really want to know. Because it does suck sometimes if yeah, you name your company and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really, because it hasn't impacted us on a business point of view, touch wood. But uh, the one thing that annoys me when someone goes, hey, this is Jenny Griffiths and she's the founder of Snapchat. Yeah. Then you have to get on stage and go, <laughs> I'm actually, better, I'm, I'm better not, than that. I'm not Evan Spiegel. <laughs> Don't worry about that. We're, I'm better. <laughs> you're like the John Lewis guy on Twitter at Christmas. Being like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're doing well, but actually Snap Fashion is much better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not at all awkward. It's you fine. Sh- you should download it. The, the logo's not yellow. Yeah. <laughs> was there a gap between Master Thesis done and Startup Started? Very much so. Um, so I went to the University of Bristol. So shout, shout out to Bristol. Bristol. Southwest. Trapper. Southwest, Trappers. exactly. Trapper. I was there for way too long. I went back to London and they asked me if I was from Bristol. So <laughs> really? That's when you know you Having move. grown up in London? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, just on, horrible Jenny. accent sponge. Just wait until I go to California. Um <laughs> But yes, yeah, so I was at Bristol University. One of the best things about them is they don't own your IP. So right. it's really nice because now there are loads of students coming out, basically mm. able to spin out their own companies, which they can't necessarily do from other universities. Yeah. So I won the startup competition at university. IP being intellectual property. Just oh, yeah. Sorry. IP. Yeah, um, so I won the um, innovation competition, um, new enterprise um, competition at university. And literally, I think I was the first undergrad to win it. And they just gave me 15 grand. You can imagine. Well, hang on, back, backtrack, backtrack. What, what is this competition? <laughs> so it's called the New Enterprise Competition. And, and who runs it? It's Bristol University. It's open oh, to lecturers, alumni, um, PhD students, postdocs. And I was, I think, like I said, the first undergrad to win it. So yeah, I was like 20, 21, got given this 15 grand. And to be honest, it completely freaked me out because okay. I'd never been the kind of person who grew up wanting to start a business. Right. I'd actually grown up wanting to be an artist, wanted to be an inventor, quite okay. a creative person. So I'd never you are kind an of... inventor, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I managed to find my niche now, but yeah. I kind of had this prize money and then I had, so I had that as a career option, start Snap. Yeah. I had a PhD offer for the university, which oh, I was cool. pretty tempted to buy. Yeah. And then I also had a job offer as well to be a project manager at a kind of big defense engineering company. I see. And 2009, 
massive recession. Things happened, yes. Every paper you read were going like, if you've got a job, you're really lucky if you're a graduate. So actually I bottled it slightly and I took the job. So two and a half years, I was a project manager at this big defence company. Right. And a bit of me kind of looks at it and gone, if I had have had the guts to do that, what would have been different? What were you? What happened to the fifteen grand while you were working? So I saved it. Believe it or not, everyone You're thought such a I was good just gonna... person. I know. Oh wow! I I'm... wish I was like you. I wish I had bought a nice handbag, but there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I saved it, and actually I used it. So I did um, my year as a project manager, and then I actually went back to my company um, that I was working for and said, "Hey, I'm loving my job, really liking my career." But I've got this idea and yeah. I just can't shake it. So can I go part time? Okay. So I basically was working then two and a half days a week for the defence company, two and a half days a week using that grant basically to supplement starting up the business. So that's how it got off the ground. Yeah. Kind of had this wonderful inflection point where I was like, the business is kind of getting more exciting than my real day job. Yeah. So that's when I decided to make the jump. Yeah. But I'm actually looking back on it. I'm really pleased I took the job initially because it gave me such a strong work ethic. Like I was okay. in work every day, half seven I was seconded to really fancy places like Basingstoke and Crawley and uh, <laughs> got used to driving the M4 corridor. So, yeah, I think it was good for me. And also because it was defence, most of my team, they're absolute legends, but they were mostly men in their okay. 40s and 50s, right, so. ex-military, great stories out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it meant I was suddenly in charge of them. And it was quite a steep learning curve, to be honest, around how to manage teams. And Yeah, how did they find that? Um they were really good, actually. Fantastic. Um, so I've always found, not a popular opinion, but in engineering companies, I've never really struggled with being a woman in tech. Okay. Because you have that initial kind of like, whoa, who's she? Yeah. And then when they realise that you're a solid engineer, yeah. it's a bit of a meritocracy. Like, you can kind of get through it. Yeah. So uh, I had a wonderful, I was doing a project with satellites, and I had a guy sit down with me and explain to me that satellites go around the earth in little circles <laughs> and then I explained what differential GPS was and drew all the formula on the board and he went quiet quite quickly and I never had that problem again so you have a little bit of that but uh, can, can you explain differential GPS to us please I'd rather 30 not. seconds or less <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to explain differential GPS you said you wanted to do art something arty yes that's right and you hadn't coded before Yep. So walk me through that excellent decision of wanting to be in art, not yep. coding before, and then doing computer science degree. So I to master's level. To master's level, mind you. Indeed. So you chose to continue. This is true. So when I was studying, I've always been really, really creative, mm-hmm. and I was kind of very more towards arts and that kind of thing. Yeah. My dad's dad is an engineer though. Right. So he wasn't ever pushy, but like he used to love taking us up to the science museum at the weekends, right. me and my sister. So we'd always go around and play with it. Um, um, so, yeah, when I picked my A-levels, I did maths and physics. Yeah. And then I did English and music. I was going to say, yeah, where's so, the art? Okay. Yeah, right. like still super confused. Keeping your opportunities open. Keeping yeah. your choices open. And then I discovered I'd always loved Pixar movies. Yeah. So, like, the first film I remember going to see properly in the cinema was A Bug's Life and really, really loving. Classic. So, yeah, I've kind of grown up with that. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I could be an animator because uh-huh. it's really deeply technical, really on the artistic side. So mm. maybe that's where I should go. So I went for the um, open day at Bristol University because it's like home of Aardman. Um, they had like this. Yeah, they do. It's in the it's in the yeah. station when you go in. They, um, they have Gromit <laughs> in yeah. like a funny. And then they're all, all throughout the city as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Aardman have like started moving towards computer graphics, which is really cool. And I just really ended up getting sucked into that world. So, yeah, I was still super into animation, character and set design. Um, so I did that all the way up to the fourth year. Mm-hmm. But in the third year, got into computer vision. 
Okay. And that just, I'd always, like I said, I'd kind of struggled a bit throughout university with the actual coding bit, mainly because coding is it's a lot of practice as well mm. as the mindset. Mm. And then I stumbled into this bit of academia where I could just do it off the bat. And it was bizarre because... There's not it, many places like that on your fourth year as well, of yeah, course. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it just all made sense and all the maths made sense and all the coding makes sense. I ended up being top of my year and I just kind of looked and I went, Casually, okay, brush like, off your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, this is my thing. This is amazing. <laughs> so yeah, when it came to my thesis, I was like, I could do the animation side of things. But actually, I think I found this weird niche that I didn't really know Notice existed. So yeah. I wanted to kind of go down that way. And computer vision is an interesting one because it's not an acronym but it's not something people necessarily fully would yeah. just straight off the bat know what that means. Exactly. So computer vision is something we've been working on for decades, right? And it's trying to yeah. get computers to see, which I always describe it as kind of you have two eyes and you've learned to see iteratively yeah. over time. Whereas with computer, anything you put in needs to be digitalized in some ways, needs to be in zeros and ones. Yeah. And by the time you do that in pixels and put the pixels next to each other, it's not really two eyes you've got looking at. You kind of have to analyze a matrix. That is a very nice summary. So the way kind of I like to look at it. (laughs) Love it. Um, No, so the way I always kind of think about it as well is like you're inherently born with this ability to see as Mm -hmm. a human. Like one of the first things you do when you grow up is kind of be able to point at a ball and say ball. Like it just feels so natural to us. Whereas to a computer, it's literally just a bunch of pixels. So it's kind of how can you begin to infer meaning from that bunch of pixels Mm. and how far do you actually want to take that intelligence? Um, Mm. And that's a question that's coming up more and more Mm. nowadays because Mm. with the rise of deep learning, so Mm. when I was 2008 doing the original algorithms, you could not afford to do deep learning on GPUs. It was just so expensive. The processing power that you needed to do what we do now just casually. Exactly. It's crazy. And it's getting, it's Moore's law, right? So it's every 18 months or two years, it gets cheaper yeah. Half is cheaper and, and gets half it gets smaller, half mm. size. But it's the that is increasing as well. Kind of that's an exponential thing that means that it's Yeah. As time goes on, you you need half the time to get the same jump. Yeah, and it works for economics as well. So basically everything's just get reducing more. price. What a G. Oh, but G. have you heard of Maze Law? Which is the one no. I love. Um, Theresa Maze Law. No, it's so I don't know if we want to talk about those on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. That's, that's another subject. <laughs> Which May is it? Um, it Brian is May? David May. David May. I'd love to know Brian's Brian we should law. ask him. It's probably about badges. <laughs> no, um, David May's law is around kind of software efficiencies. And ah. it's one that I kind of love because he's basically saying as Moore's law improves, yep. if your ability to be a computer scientist, kind of you don't have to be as good as you were. This so actually true. software laziness comes in. So actually yes. software that's being written now is probably like half as efficient as it was 10 years ago. Yep just because we don't need to be as good engineers. So yes. that's kind of an interesting one Which as well. It's good news for anyone that wants to come and join this tech club, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? we're all terrible now. You can be lazy and, <laughs> and be a part of it, as David said. David said so. Yeah. Um, but no, it's quite an, an interesting theory, that. But uh, yeah, so now people are looking at kind of deep learning mm-hmm. for computer vision and going purely deep learning. Mm-hmm. And that's something I controversially disagree with quite a bit, because I think when it becomes pure deep learning, becomes a bit of a data arms race. Mm-hmm. So I realise I'm nerding out a little bit too much just to kind of... <laughs> deep learning for the for, deep the, for learning. the for the woman in the street. Um, it is basically um, you create a network of computers who are able to interpret information in ways that you don't necessarily dictate, but you kind of say... And that they work out over time yeah, themselves. So yeah. For in computer vision, let's say, you can give it a data set of a thousand dresses and mm-hmm. you're able to say to computer here are a thousand dresses mm-hmm. and then that way when a new image hits it mm-hmm. it can say 
oh, that kind of looks like the other thousand mm. images, so it must be a dress, right? Mm. Or actually, it looks nothing like it, so I'm going to say it's not a dress. Mm. So uh, you've got that kind of logic going on. Mm. But the trouble is with that, you can design that for a thousand dresses. If mm. someone else comes along and gives it 10,000 dresses, their system's going to be better than yours. Yes. Someone else comes along, they've got 100,000 dresses, mm -hmm. suddenly that's the most accurate. Mm -hmm. So I think with computer vision at the moment, there's a bit of a danger of the people with the most data mm obviously have the upper hand. Who, who so, we won't name, but they, remind, they, rem, uh, they rhyme with Boogle. <laughs> Not just Boogle. Not just Boogle. Um, there's, there's some other ones as well. They're doing uh, this around dresses or just uh, computer just in vision general, in general? Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of the, the industry in general. And especially when you speak to investors, they're like, oh, cool, so you're totally deep learning. And for me, it's really important to say, actually, no, we're not. Mm. And it's not because we're cut, not cutting edge. It's because the only way you're going to beat these guys is by being bigger than them. And that's mm. not going to happen when you're so small. So... Mm. It's kind of that old inventor blood in me, I guess, of kind of thinking your way around the problem and thinking within the tinkering, constraints. Tinkering, tapping and tinkering. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes me tick. And you are doing it around dresses. We are, yes. And jumpsuits. And jumpsuits. And all the other bits of clothing that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> With more than 250 retailers, including Liberty, John Lewis, Net-A-Porter and ASOS, no less. Exactly. Has that been as exciting as it sounds? Most definitely, yeah. It's been yes. great. Um so yeah, it's been, uh, so those kind of retailers, we work with their data, so mm -hmm. talking about data again. Mm -hmm. um, so we basically look at what's coming in new every day. Yeah. So believe it or not, we're processing around 2 million fashion items a day, which is wow. pretty awesome. Um, new fashion items new are fashion coming items. in. Yeah, it's... Gosh, the shopping yeah. possibilities. Exactly, it's kind of scary. So yeah, we've got about 250 retailers, which is around 16,000 brands. So like I said, about 2 million items coming in. Yeah. And what we do with that is we kind of feed it all into the system so we make everything searchable. Just realised I haven't really said what we do. <laughs> um, so that way, if I love your jacket, which I do, um, Why, thank you. I can take a photo of it and then say, hey, I can buy it in ASOS, John Lewis. I can look find something similar in Topshop. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like putting a nice little visual filter on the world to let people find what they're looking for without having to type words. Um, and then on the flip side, because we're not direct to consumer, yep. so we're not trying to be the next ASOS or mm -hmm. the next Boohoo, we license that technology to publishers and to retailers. So if you're a retailer and someone clicks on something that's sold out, instead of just giving them a rubbish, hey, you clicked on this, have fun, <laughs> it's sold out, we can say, you've clicked on this, here's a list of 20 things that are similar in stock today, have fun shopping. Okay. Um, and then with publishing, it's more like if Meghan Markle seen wearing a dress, everyone wants to buy the dress, we can help them kind of find it quickly. The way that people are discovering content has changed completely yeah. um, with the rise of various different social networks. Exactly. In fact, we're all carrying around these cameras in our pockets. Mm -hmm. And the way that people have been combating that is just to hit us with more adverts. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about working within publishing. Mm -hmm. It's taking consideration of your users as well. Because yeah. like you say, you don't want to move your mouse a millimetre to the right and be hit with another ad. Mm. You want to see relevant stuff that you actually want to see. Mm. So that's a lot of what we're doing. When we talk about visual search, it doesn't necessarily have to be the act of taking a photo of the act was saying I want to find this it's, it's kind of the image somewhere. yeah if it's in line it's way more natural we do so. have to declare that you're not um, those people that are responsible where if you look at a t-shirt once then you're like browsing <laughs> and like on Tesco and then you see that t-shirt again that's yeah, not this, snap tech just so no, you know it haunts not, you, you I would to love to change that industry though because like there's always so in retail there's always a reason why you don't buy something right it's mm -hmm. always out of stock in your uh, budget mm -hmm. it's just out of stock in your size there's mm. so many reasons so there's no point in following you around for 30 days it just, just does your head in just so, haunting you yeah exactly yeah. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How have you changed as a human being from that day when you decided to do this as your dissertation? Because mm. from the outside looking in, if we ignore the fact that you went and worked for that defense company, <laughs> it's like a project that got out of hand. Yeah, that's fair. And has ended up with you being like chums with the queen, <laughs> having this MVE. There you go. Lizzie. We're both friends with Lizzie. Me, you, Lizzie. We have True. a WhatsApp group, right? Trying to steal one of her corgis, actually. Exactly. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. <laughs> I don't. I also don't condone the stealing of dogs. But what what has changed for you or how have you changed as a per- Have you changed? Are you still Jenny from the block? Oh, no, you didn't say oh, that. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> segue again I lived in D block at university and I hate that song because Boom. of it Jenny from D block um so I think it's quite hard to see change in yourself oh really it's, I mean I've been going on this now seven years officially around 10 years unofficially so it's kind of hard to say who I'd be at this age anyway but, but you can but you can say like I seven years or 10 years ago I wish I knew this yeah so I'm definitely thicker skinned now okay um I used to care quite a lot about what people thought about me. Yeah. Um, I probably still do to a certain extent, but now I care about it in the sense that I'm so synonymous with my brand and with Snap. Yeah. If someone kind of perceives me badly, I think like, oh my God, what does that do to my company? So uh, okay. I think I kind of changed a bit in that way. Um, but also I think I've just got more principled around the kind of women in tech, women in business. I'd always... Oh, really? I'd had quite an easy introduction to it, I guess. So like I said earlier, my first company I worked for were absolutely amazing. Mm. And it was this amazing meritocracy Mm. university. There were only a few of us. But once again, what people got over the initial shock, I found it made no difference at all. Mm. Going into business, that Mm. is a completely different story. And I think that's made me kind of... I've always had the principles around it, but it's made me hyper aware of them. And it's probably made me put myself out there a bit more than I would have done in the past. Okay. Like I would never have thought I'd be doing podcasts with people like you. Of course you'd always do it with me, about this kind of thing. You know, we would have done it. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> yeah, but it must be the same for you though. It's like you kind of go on this journey and you realise the things that were important to you kind of internally, you kind of feel the need to go, actually, you know what? I'm going to kind of stick my neck on the line a bit. So uh, so definitely, I think, and it's it's funny slash not funny that we pa- we're in parallel so I had the same mm-hmm. thing where and I started really young with my loving technology and doing things and yeah. passing things and so it was such a part of me mm. that I never really clocked or never really saw that me being a girl and being technical was a strange thing exactly so the same. there were 70 on my course and three of us were girls yeah and I only realized that having gone to Grace Hopper and then looking okay. back and being like oh my so we're not the first time I went to Grace yeah. Hopper um was 2012 and there were three and a, only three and a half thousand women at the conference. And so I turned up there and I'd never in my whole life been in an environment that was majority female and technical. Yeah. I, yeah, it is the same thing where you're like, I don't, I have to, I now have to yeah. overdo this or I have to overdo that or I have to say 
yeah, exactly. certain things because we're in this position, in this privileged position. Yeah. And it, we're in a great position, but I think that's probably the thing that's changed the most. And like, it's my friends from that I've known for years kind of go, I don't believe you're now that kind of person that will go on TV or go on a podcast and speak up about this. You're like, I'm it's like, growth, baby. If, yeah, it's true. This yeah. is growth. Yeah. And I think it's good growth as well. But uh, you, It is. Yeah. yeah. You learn from your mistakes as well. I've... Uh, my big thing is I'm quite a quiet, kind of passive, easygoing person. Okay. And uh, I think in business, it makes you unusual. Like people, whenever they hear about Snap and they hear about me, they go, oh, yeah, Jenny, she's really lovely to work with. <laughs> and I always thought that was the most amazing feedback you could get in business. Okay. And then I realized it's not necessarily the case because people are basically going, oh, yeah, Jenny, she's a walkover. <gasps> so I think that's been the other kind of bit of my growth is realizing that sometimes you can still be true to yourself and you can still be lovely. But there's nothing wrong with defending what you believe in and defending yes. your company. And that's probably been my biggest learning in the past couple of years is if you are internally thinking that something's wrong and yeah. you kind of go home and you go, I wish I had have said that or mm. actually I really think this needs to change. So in the next year I'm going to try and do something. I don't think there's anything wrong with just saying it there and then. So that's been my kind of biggest revelation recently. There's the not, but you do have to give yourself the opportunity to practice that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Which I think the more you progress and the more, this is going to sound crazy, but like the more power you accumulate, the more you're in those scenarios where you are you are the only person in the room that can be like, it's cool not okay out. for you to assume that they're all he. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you, yeah, you literally, yeah, you call people out, like you said. And, yeah. like, and I think for me often, sometimes actually not often, maybe sometimes, maybe often in between the two, which again, you'll understand, <laughs> there are mathematical uh, equivalences and percentages for often and sometimes which I argue with my team all the time but anyway what was the point I was trying to make that sometimes I do get stuck on oh I wish I could have said that but I was so shocked yeah at what happened that I was paralyzed into just not saying anything yeah exactly so that's what I'm currently that's like my 2019 boom new year's resolution is you know what instead of just going around in your head on it just say it next or time sitting it there and shocked exactly there you kind of sit up and you're like do you know what i'm gonna say this you're not dealing with human beings which again there's a company that i won't mention that doesn't run with google they run with google instead where ai doesn't always computer vision doesn't always work out yes that's true and there's a whole host of things in the news facial recognition i'm sure 2019 is going to be the year for like big facial recognition snafu stories yes that's probably true what's the weirdest thing that you've seen so i think ai in general at the moment there's a lot of hype Mm -hmm. And it's amazing from the sense that, so when I started 10 years ago, my job was basically educating the market around AI. So it's okay. going into retailers, publishers, and telling them what AI was, yeah. how it wouldn't damage them, not trying to take your jobs. So kind of went through that. And now people have like AI budgets. And this is amazing nice. because it means that for people like me, we're able to kind gosh, of sell gosh, in money, a bit money. easier. Yep. But there's the flip side, which is there's so much, if I'm being nice, I call it vaporware. If mm -hmm. I'm being nasty, I swear a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of rubbish out there yep. that's been kind of positioned as AI. Yep. So a bit like you say, like 2019 probably will be the year of discovering quite a lot of things have been sold that actually aren't intelligent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been probably the most painful kind of thing I've discovered as a founder is okay. kind of not the best tech doesn't necessarily win. Um, right. And that's been quite a hard kind of lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, I think the most exciting thing I've learned as a founder is, so the way the company started was, it was me building a product for myself. Yeah. And I was always very kind of 
tinfoil hattish about the whole thing if okay. that makes sense so yeah. i'd be like don't talk to anyone about your idea <laughs> like don't tell anyone it's got to be out there it's got to be there in the wild and then you launch it and then it's like oh well i only i wanted that and yeah. i've got this whole market that i haven't even spoken to oh. so that was my big eureka moment as a founder is like stop worrying that people are going to steal your ideas yep. just put them out there speak to your users kind of we were doing um fortnightly user groups um for mm-hmm. the snap fashion launch where we were just getting in loads of target customers and being like hey play with it what do you think yeah and we'd see them like hold the app in their hand which i designed and they just wouldn't know how to go backwards and forwards and silly users sit silly but most of our user base right so it's like the user never uses it how you want them to exactly so that was my kind of biggest eureka moment as a founder it's like no matter how good an inventor you are and how good your ideas are if you design them in a vacuum there they're never going to get out there so yeah that's my eureka moment i guess makes sense so you have now it's not really pivoted you've expanded indeed from snap fashion to snap tech yes what are the other verticals within the snap land if I told you that, I'd have to kill you. <gasps> no, um, so I can tell you a few. Um, so we're working on things like cosmetics and beauty, um, things like homewares. Hang on, hang on, slow so, down, slow down. So someone has a lipstick, you take a picture of them and you get what the lipstick is? Indeed. Does that work even for me? Because my skin's slightly different. So that if I wear the same lipstick with other members of my team, yeah. it looks completely different on each of us. Ah, that's interesting. So I can't say that much on the podcast, <gasps> but I'll talk to you about it later because oh, no we've done way. a lot of work on that. Okay, let's skip ahead. Um, home. Indeed. So home and weirdly we do stuff in defence as well. So coming back to my roots. Are you allowed to say the defence one? Yeah, so our whole kind of USP as a company is we're really good at detecting shapes. So obviously right. for fashion, that's really important because we look at things like neckline, hemline, where it goes into the waist. In defence, um, what we do is look at x-ray images of bags going through security. Oh, wow. Because you can imagine like different shape components um, have very different forms. Where's um, the HQ? Are you in London or Bristol? London. Okay. Um, we've got a satellite office in Bristol. And then we've got a few people working remote, actually. So you've got someone in Bristol, someone in Exmouth. So I'm always a big fan of if you find the right talent, don't worry too much about where they are. But, That's uh, very good. Which is nice, but it makes management a little bit more fun. But there you go. Talk me through the journey to tennis people? So when I was working at the defence company, mm-hmm. I was kind of waking up every morning and checking my phone to see if anyone had done my company idea yet. Because oh, I was kind right. of convinced the number of people, they must have said it to you, is like, why doesn't Google do this yet? Or yeah. why doesn't X, Y and Z company do it? And it yeah. kind of ingrains into your mind. You're like, okay, they're probably going to do it. So I'm just going to leave it and yeah. not, not get involved. So uh, yeah, that was kind of my wonderful habit when I was in the other company was kind of waiting for someone else to do it and then I just kind of woke up one day I'm like what, what am, am I doing? waiting for like what am I doing? I'm 23 I'm Jenny from D Block yes I don't have any dependents I can move back in with my parents yeah. I don't think they hate me that much and was, <laughs> I was pretty lucky to be able to go you know what let's just give this a shot so that was kind of the first thing I think I had to go through was getting my head around the idea of actually maybe I could be the person to change it and yeah. change the way world searching and kind of get over that mental barrier. And then after that, we raised our first round of capital in 2011. Okay. So from a VC based in London, um, Venrex. Yeah. How much ben- did you raise? 300 grand, not, which not uh, sounds like so much money to someone raising money as a 23-year-old who has literally not a penny to their name, apart from the 15 grand from university. But you got it. Yeah, the 15 grand but, is the um, thing. Yeah. yeah, but for a business that's... Uh, believe it or not, quite a small amount of money to raise. So yeah, we raised from venture cap- capitalists. Shout out to Venrex actually, because okay. over 50% of their um, investments are led by female founders. They're doing something right. They really are. Shout out to Venmex. Yeah, because the report that came out this week was like 
two percent of the atom- capital. Atomico report. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, um, went through the kind of first fundraising, raised, um, hired our first people. Um, I tended to hire people from university, just because I knew they'd be really solid coders. I knew them before. They were on the same course as you. Same course as me, because oh. I knew how brutal a course it was. So I, I was like, see. That'd be great yeah. If you survive that, you'll survive this. Yeah, exactly. You can survive <laughs> anything. Um, so hired. To be honest, quite a lot of friends from university, so that was really good fun. Um, raised our next round of capital in 2015. Okay. Um, hired my old boss, which was really good fun as well. That's so, awkward, no? No, no, not at all. Um, so I was like, I really need someone because I'm engineer at heart. I love products. I don't really enjoy people management and that kind uh-huh, of thing and uh-huh. how to get the best out of people. So I was like, I need someone who's a really good boss, who knows how to get the best out of people, really good at the kind of personable side of things. So yes. I was like... My boss was awesome. My first boss, yeah. so I kind of gave him a call and saw You're if he awesome. wanted to join me. Come exactly. And work for so me. I joked when I left as well. I was like, oh, "I'll give you a call if we ever get big." So uh, <laughs> it's it's quite nice. So uh, he's uh, with us today. Actually, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, so yeah, just started growing the team from there as well. So it's been quite. That a- must be goals. That's goals. It's In, yeah. That is goals to hire your boss. It's pretty good. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So you poached people and kind of took people you already knew poaching is my thing is and that how I you realized, got to 10 um widened it out a bit because i realized at about the four or five people mark after a bit of poaching i was like this is really cliquey mm. um and if we're going to be a company of 100 200 people mm. a i haven't don't think i've met that many people in my life but b if everyone <laughs> knows everyone it's all just a bit too close to home so yeah, i began to do kind of networking events and yep. think for anyone looking to start a business kind of making sure that you're putting your brand out there and yep. Getting in front of really smart people is a uh, and one that of the most for you was things. still a physical thing, even though you're not quite a people person. Or did you use a lot of social, or how did you do it? Yeah, so it tends to be face to face. I am a massive introvert, mm-hmm. as you can probably tell because no. you've known me a few years. But uh, network events are not my thing. However, <laughs> I found out that I don't mind public speaking, so I have like this weird alter ego that I can switch on. Such where- a fierce. Yeah. What's it called though? Is it is it J is it J Lo? I've you, never named you, her. You, I, think we, should, I think we now. should name her. Okay. It's not J Lo, it's J Griff. J Gur. J Gur. That's that's J Grow. J Grow. Okay, so yeah. J Grow comes out on stage. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh that's the best way for me to get kind of a good network going because people come to me who are interested rather than yeah. me just having to break into conversations. Yeah. So that's my top tip for networking yes, if you're is, an introvert. Great, is great hack put yourself on stage. So that's part A of that is yeah. be on stage and exactly. speak because then people come to you. But part B is if you ask a question, if you're the first person to ask a question and you're like, hi, my name is Jenny Griffiths and I run Snaptech and it does this, da, da. Yeah. and my question is blah, 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 insert rubbish question here. Because it doesn't matter <laughs> what the question is. People yeah. have already been like, oh my gosh, that's Jenny and she runs Snap, whatever. I should go and talk to her afterwards. I've never thought of that. Yeah. Okay. So I've done Good that. Tip. Either me or a member of the team has done that on several events. Why well, not do it? But um, I remember who did it first and someone came up to her afterwards and was like, oh, you were a great speaker. Even though she'd asked the question. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, that's a really Sorry. good tip. I'm so going to try that yeah. next event. So that was networking. Is that how you found f- investors? So investors, I... So we've got two investors. We've got Venrex, the VC, and then we've got um, Timing, fun fact. Um, so the media company. The Timing. So oh not. my gosh, Jenny. Exactly. So that's what? pretty cool. They're now TI Media because they're down with the kids. Um, Aren't we all? But um, so, yeah, the investors that I met, um, I met them through Seed Camp, um, yeah. who are amazing, actually. Um, they didn't invest in us, so I'll, I'll let that slide. But uh, I met my investors through there. Um, so And Seed Camp is Reshma's. Reshma yes, runs 
Freshman. Freshman. And for panels. anyone that doesn't know, Seed Camp is uh, is it an incubator, an accelerator? It's an accelerator. It's an accelerator. Yeah. So you, they have rounds, and you like apply to be a part of Seed Camp. Yeah. And then they give you mentors and advisors, and then if they are being nice, they'll give you money too. Exactly. So yeah. they're super cool, actually, because um, so this was 2011. So they were like literally the only accelerator that I could find at the time. But um, I didn't realise how lucky I was because they've got an investment fund as well as being very good at connections. Yes. So they'll basically say, we're going to put in 100K and we're going to connect you. And they kind of support you throughout. So uh, yeah. yeah, anyone look at Starty Up, they are actually fantastic. Despite them not backing me, I'll, I'll still give them a good <laughs> shout out. Um, but yeah, we met our first VC through there. So yeah. that was really lovely. And then with time, um, we were working with them on a kind of looking at products, thinking about the future of visual search and met the digital director who was just a really forward thinking person okay. um, and just kind of connected um, on the product level. And then they were like, maybe we should buy you. And I was like, oh, a bit that too early. That's a funny conversation. Do you want to invest that? in me instead? How often has someone said that to you? We should uh, buy you. Happens a bit. Um, How many times a year? Two or three times a year. That's so cool. It's Those days do you go and like buy yourself a drink? No, because they or haven't like bought cake. me. No, but like it's like a, it's like being complimented in like a in like a very in a not sleazy way. It's true. It is like the highest compliment you, you can get. I, mean? I guess almost, yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, it it messes with your mind though every time someone yeah. says it because you kind of you've got this vision in your head and you know what you're going to build and yeah. you're like you've got this plan for the next five ten years yeah. and then someone just come in and completely blindside you yeah. and then it kind of makes you question all of your. Do you take the number and kind of just pin it somewhere and like? measure kind of hmm in january they said that around in july they've said this i don't do that i I've should got, buy a private jet i basically got a line in my head where if someone goes below the line <gasps> i don't really think about it and i try not to think about it because i'm trying to keep myself honest whereas if they're above the line that's when i'm like oh no hmm, that's when it's is like now the time crisis but, uh, time yeah exactly but i think that's quite a healthy way to do it it's feel like when i started um when i went part-time yeah. before we raised investment yeah my line there was um that 15 grand I talked about earlier, yeah. I was like, I'm going to run this business until the 15 grand is up. Okay. And then at that point, if I haven't made it work on 15 grand, I'm not going to carry on anymore. Yes. Because obviously you get so emotionally attached to stuff. Yeah. It's quite easy to just get lost run in up, your own hype and go, yeah, oh, maybe just, just 500 pounds yeah. more, just 500 pounds more. So yeah. I've throughout doing the business, I've always had a line. Okay. Sounds really weird. So now my I've got my kind of buyout line in my mind um, where... If someone comes in above that, then I'd consider. But if not, I try not to let it phase me. But when do you update that line? Or how often do you update that line? So I've got like this thing in my head around um, milestones that you can hit as yeah. an entrepreneur. So it's like, have you raised money? Have you yeah. got paying customers? Yeah. How big's your team? Yeah. IP, patents, file, trademarks, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the way I always see it is like a bit of a staircase, if that makes sense. Okay. So you've kind of, you're going along in your straight line, then yeah. you hit a product. Point and then your valuation goes up. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm miming, which is really useful on a podcast. <laughs> She's miming a, stair, a little staircase. staircase. Yeah. It's great. I talk with my hands, which is it's not good, useful. Which is ears handy for a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's great. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of when I do it, when I know that I've hit one of those milestones where that's if good. I'd say to an investor, we're worth more because yeah. we've done X, Y, and Z, that's yeah. when I say to myself, you're worth more so yeah, staircase up the line do you have a do you have you got that written down somewhere or that's all just in your head most things are all in my head okay like a proper crazy person yeah it's great it's like it makes me feel better because everything's <laughs> always in my head and the team always complaining to me so you now don't want any evidence i'm having to like learn to write things down because sometimes other people have to be a part of what i'm doing yeah when you asked me earlier about what's the important stuff you've learned i think <laughs> learning how to actually communicate like a human being is a <laughs> something I'm still working we on. We must at this point say that not all computer scientists are made the same. 
we're all pretty terrible. No, it's, I'm not sure that's fair. No, it's uh, it's a different skill set, right? Like I've met some amazing founders who aren't technical at all, but their ability is just to get people absolutely hyped about what they're doing okay. and be like amazing communicators, get yeah. people on board. You just have different skill sets. And I think the best thing is to like know your strengths. So I know exactly. I'm product through and through once in a while. My pet hate is people stating the obvious. Okay. Like I get really angry when people state the obvious. Yeah. So I tend to go the other way and I will just run 100 miles an hour. And then my team will leave a meeting and go, what on earth was she talking about? Oh no. So I think it's just kind of being aware of what you're doing, kind of pick yourself up on it. As a computer scientist, which we said at the beginning, actually, you learn how to think, not necessarily the technology itself, mm-hmm. because the point is that then new technologies will come up and you'll understand enough like from first principles to be able to kind of conceptually get it. Yeah. And then you dig into the details if you need to use Ruby or if you need to use Java or if you need to use Unity or... Exactly. And these are all just languages that I'm throwing out that do various random different things. What are you learning at the moment? Or what was the last thing you learnt? Oh, that's a tough one. It could be like a generic piece of technology where you're like, I'm going to do a deep dive on Bitcoin. Hmm. But what was it? So from a business point of view, the thing I've learned recently, I think we touched on it earlier actually, was kind of following your gut a bit more and actually then speaking your mind a bit more. So that's something I've really kind of found has been working for me and it hasn't altered people's opinions of me at all. In fact, it's kind of made them better. It's like, oh, she doesn't just kind of sit there and smile and nod. It's like she actually has opinions. That's that's kind of amazing. So that's been quite an important learning for me this year. And then from a technical point did of view... Did you learn that from from a book or where did you take... Or you, that was just a reactionary learning? Partially reactionary, partially um, hearing what people were saying about me, actually. Okay, is, from other people. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also read super stereotype book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Okay. And it's by Ben Horowitz. I think every startup founder should read it if okay. they haven't. It took me like seven years to actually listen to someone saying that um, oh, really? to, for me to to read it oh, okay. um, don't be like jenny just read it now. yeah just read the book yeah. it's it's like an hour <laughs> you'll be fine um but that just hearing all those stories put together okay it just kind of made me realize that yeah you should just put yourself out there a bit more and if you are thinking things and you've been alive for seven years as a company you're probably doing something right so you okay. should kind of make your thoughts heard a bit more right um, and then from a technical point of view, at the moment, I'm trying to learn JavaScript, which sounds super... So old school. <laughs> Gosh, as if. Yeah. So um, basically, I've always... I'm proper old school. I'm C++ through and through. Um, so I'm Shudders. C, C++, Java. I love those kind of super complex... Like You actually love them? Actually love it. Wow. So like passing pointers and memory management and that kind of thing. So I've Plan never written punishment. in a, I never written a scripting language at all. Okay. So um, I'm currently I've got a little side project trying to learn JavaScript, playing oh. around with the Spotify API, that kind of thing. Oh, but okay. uh, yeah, so I think for me as well, just trying to keep my hand in coding because uh, obviously I don't get to do too much of it anymore. So uh, yeah. Um, you've been to the palace for your investiture to pick up your MBE medal, Indeed. which you're wearing today. Only joking, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst rumor ever. <laughs> I wear it wherever I go. Um, how was that day? Um, it was pretty magical. Yeah, it was really, really good. What's the thing you remember the most from that day? Um, or the most random thing? The most random thing was my sister trying to sneak the uh, her mobile phone camera into the toilet so she could take a photo in the palace because we weren't allowed. Um, she didn't manage it, by the way, before someone arrested her. For the sake of, yeah. Yeah, for the sake of my sister's reputation. to listen to this one really well. Exactly. Um, No, the thing I remember the most was actually meeting the people beforehand because obviously everyone else getting the awards were fairly cool. So I met this amazing guy called um, Ed Watson. Um, He was a ballerina, but the royal ballet oh okay 
do you call male ballerinas? Ballet dancers. Call ballet dancers. Thank you. So I met him and he taught me how to curtsy. So that was a oh, no pretty way. good From life a ballet moment. Dancer of all people. Exactly. Gosh, pretty awesome. You're have to pass it on. Um, and then yeah, just the ceremony itself was just like the people in that room and the stuff they'd done. It was uh, yeah, pretty humbling to be there. I always feel like a bit of an idiot when I talk about this kind of thing. But I was there for another occasion and it was a meeting with Prince Andrew and he had some investors over from America and he was doing his thing for kind of Pitch the Palace and yep. that kind of thing. So it was all very grand and there were about five of us in the room. Um, so it was pretty intense. Mm. And it was, there was some occasion which meant there was a big brass band outside the window. Casual. They were kind of playing all the natural stuff. And then it came to my turn to pitch and I had like five minutes to pitch these investors. Mm-hmm. And the Imperial March from Star Wars starts kind kind of going in the background. And I was just like, this is the most surreal thing ever. This is my life. Yeah. And the next person got Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, brilliant. Thank you very much, Jenny from D-Block. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Jenny Griffiths has spent 10 years building her master thesis in computer vision into a visual search company which helps more than 250 retailers like ASOS and Liberty interact well with consumers who have cameras on their mobile phones. She's told us to keep testing our ideas with consumers, be more principled in discussions at work where we have a position of power and also to speak on stage more. But she's still Jenny from D-Block. You can follow her on Twitter, Jenny Snap Tech, and find out more about Snap Fashion on Insta, on the handle Snap Fashion, but also look up Snap Tech on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Women Tech Charge on Apple Podcasts, and it would really help if you rate and review us too. For the latest news, sports, entertainment, and more audio content, visit standard.co.uk. We're Evening Standard on Twitter, and on Insta, it's evening.standard. I and Marie live on Twitter at AMAFIDON, good luck spelling that, and on Instagram at NotYourAverageAMI, which is a little bit easier to spell. Get in touch, have a chat, ask questions using the hashtag WomenTechCharge. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.